Hey there, friends and neighbors. This is John Riley, and I'm really happy to share with you a bonus audio-only podcast. And this is a recording of the candidate forum for Poway Unified School District Area E that features Cindy Seitzma and Jimmy Karam, and they're running for school board in Poway, uh, representing the geography of South Poway and Sabre Springs. So just hope you really enjoy this. It's moderated by the League of Women Voters. They did a really good job. So here you go. Hi, good evening, everybody. My name is Gail Mackler, and I'm going to be serving as your moderator tonight for the League of Women Voters Candidate Forum. Uh, We believe that even though we are not in person, and we miss that by not being in person, we do think that there are certain advantages to having this forum by Zoom. Many more people who would otherwise not be able to attend can attend. And uh, we think that you can make a more informed decision after you attend one of our forums. Audience members, all of you, will be on mute, so it isn't necessary to mute your phone or silence your household noises. If you have any questions, uh, please look and put something into the chat box to find out how to reach us. The League is very proud to be nonpartisan, neither supporting nor opposing candidates or political parties, but always working on vital issues of concern. Our Voters Edge website is an online resource for more information about the candidates, the ballot issues, and detailed voting information. All candidates for local offices have been invited to include their information, and there is no cost to the candidate. I hope that both of our candidates tonight have included all their information on the League of Voters, Voters, the League of Women Voters, Voters Edge. Um, We are recording this forum tonight, and it will be available unedited from the beginning to the end to the public on our website, LeagueOfWomenVotersSanDiego.org. Now, we have asked our attendees to submit questions online before the forum. Those in attendance may also submit questions using the link provided in the chat box. Please remember to use civility and respect in wording your questions in a general way so that all of our can so both candidates can respond to the question. We have organized the questions to avoid duplication and to assure topics of greatest interest that are asked. Our question screeners from the league are Jane Andrews and Ann McDonald, and the screener from our host group is Janet Latang. The timekeeper is Scarlett Lopez, and we will adjourn tonight at 8.15. Now, with that said, I want to thank you all for joining us on this Zoom webinar to become a more informed voter. This forum is for the office of Poway Unified District School District Number E. The candidates are Cindy Sestma and Jimmy Karam. Uh, We are using the League of Women Voters format. The candidates We'll have two minutes each for their opening statement, two minutes for their closing statement, and one minute to respond to each question from the audience. We will alternate who answers each question first, and I will repeat the question to each candidate if necessary. And prior to the start of this event, we chose the order of speaking. And now for their opening statements, we will begin with Cindy. Cindy, you have two minutes. Thank you, Gail. Um, Good evening. My name is uh, Dr. Cindy Seitzma, and I am running for the um, position of Board of Education in uh, Poway Unified Area Trustee E. Um, I am a local girl. I was born and raised in um, Poway Unified. I went kindergarten through um, 12th grade and graduated from Mount Carmel. I uh, went on to earn a uh, bachelor's in criminology. I have two teaching credentials. Uh, I can teach in special education and um, multiple subject education. Um, I have a master's in education and I have a PhD in human services. Um, My career path has allowed me to be not only, um, I served 
for a short time as a law enforcement officer. Um, and then I went on to become a teacher where I taught for eight years in San Diego Unified. Um, I wore many hats from being a special day class teacher to a um, resource teacher. I developed a learning resource center. Um, I moved on to help open an alternative high school um, and did had the opportunity to um, create a very uh, unique program where kids, uh, high school students, were at school three days a week and they were at internships two days a week. And it was project-based. Uh, I, I then, after completion of my doctorate degree, got picked up by uh, National University, where I have spent the last 16 years. Um, nine of those years, I taught in the credentialing program um, and teacher uh, master's program. And then I developed a master's program in juvenile justice with a, with a lens towards special education. Um, and then spent the last seven years teaching juvenile justice and criminal justice classes. Uh, for the past eight Thank you. Jimmy? Oh, hello, everybody. Um, I'm Jimmy Karam. I'm a retired Navy supply corps officer. Uh, supply corps officers are essentially the business managers of the Navy. Um, I'm also an adjunct economics professor at Palomar College and a program manager by day. My education includes a Bachelor of Science from uh, the United States Naval Academy and an MBA from USC and a Master's in Performance Psychology from uh, National University. Um, I bring a skill set that is unmatched by any other candidate or uh, school board member. And uh, in addition to my business and management experience, um, I'm also a member and a certified mental performance consultant with the Association of Applied Sports Psychology. And most importantly, I'm currently, as an adjunct professor at Palomar, I'm currently uh, teaching two sections of economics at Escondido High as part of their dual enrollment program. So that's, that's been fun. Um, I'm running for a seat at Poway Unified School Board representing District E, which runs along the south side of Poway and, and Sabre Springs as well. Um, a number of these schools in the area are Title I schools, and I've spoken to many administrators, teachers, and parents in the area, and they feel that they're being underrepresented at Poway Unified uh, District level. So I plan to change that, and I plan to give them, a, give them a voice at the table, and I plan to lead with strong values and emphasizing equity over equality. So I look forward to this, uh, this uh, forum, and so be able to express more of my platform as we go through this. But last, I just want to make sure you all know, as, as your elected trustee, I, I, you have my pledge that I'll lead and serve with the highest ethical standards in mind. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And your last name is pronounced Karam? Yes. Okay. And Cindy, your last name is pronounced? Saitsma. Saitsma. Thank you. Both tricky last names. Okay. We're going to start with two questions about COVID, since that is on everyone's mind uh, and, had, of course, affects school children going back to school. First question is, what is your opinion about the process and safeguards to reopen schools during the COVID pandemic? And that will be Jimmy. Um, so my understanding is that the, um, the process is basically handed out guidelines through the state and then through the county. And I think uh, Power Unified is doing a good job trying to adhere to those guidelines. Um, I think they're doing a good job giving, um, most, you know, giving everyone a choice whether they want to go back on campus or not. Currently right now, since we're on the, we were on the watch list, everyone's basically um, learning from home, distance learning. Um, I do like the way they plan things out. My concern is the communication and, and allowing um, you know, giving kind of that stable, predictable communication to the public. I guess we were ready to go uh, and open up in, in December, and now they're talking possibly doing it in November. Um, I'd rather see that go in a different route and be able to just give people, stand, you know, set uh, dates to go by and then be able to do a reassessment at that point. Um, so that's my concern is a little bit of, there's a little bit of the stream of anxiety with the parents as to whether or not we're going to be on campus or not. And, and so that's the only criticism I would have with the district. Other than that, I really love the, uh, the online academic learning. I think they're doing a wonderful job in that. Thank you. Cindy, what is your opinion about the process of opening the schools? Okay. Well, um, first and foremost, I want to say that I think that Power Unified, um, the way they have rolled out the uh, virtual learning for the fall is night and day over what was there in the spring. Um, so I commend their, their, their hard work. Um, I, I'm, I'm on campus on a regular basis. Um, 
and I and I have been over the last uh, several weeks, and I I'm hearing the concerns of the parents and and the teachers. Um, and my, my opinion is that I appreciate the district is taking their time to make sure that we um, have all the safeguards in place, and then we're not going to rush um, our kids on campus for for their safety. Um, and I'm compassionate towards all the parents that are essential workers that um, don't maybe have the skill set or the um, um, the understanding of what their kids are learning. Um, but, you know, we're there for them. I'm, I'm a teacher and a parent and I'm helping on the campus and um, we're going to do this in a safe way. Thank you, Cindy. Okay. The second question, I'll start with Cindy and then we'll go to Jimmy. During distance learning due to the COVID, how can we address the inequalities due to transportation barriers for the kids in need to get to the 12 schools? There are 12 schools in the district where the federally funded free breakfast and lunch programs are distributed. What is your idea of how to get those kids there? That's a that's a great question. Um, one I hadn't actually considered before. Um, but knowing who the the population of kids are that are um, the, in most need for those for those those lunches and those breakfasts the next day, um, as they would, um, we were given the application to fill out. You, you know who qualifies for for the free and reduced lunches, um, and then uh, arranging drivers that are employed with the district, like our instructional aides and our character coaches who are right now um, uh, making copies and helping the teachers to prep in the classroom so that they have a job, you know, they could possibly, um, one of those identified drivers to keep, keep them employed and, um, and busy. Okay. Thank you. Jimmy, you need me to repeat the question? Yes, please. Because of the distance learning because of COVID, how are you going to address the inequalities due to transportation barriers for the kids that are in need, how are they going to get to these 12 schools that are in your unified district to get the federally funded free breakfast and lunch program, which is being distributed? Yeah, so I haven't thought about this question either, but um, I, I see there's, you know, Meals on Wheels could be an option. We do have drivers in, in the district that are um, um, definitely have the assets that are able to bring the meals to the kids. Um, so we would have to look at the numbers and if that's actually feasible. I know when we did this in the spring, we, we kind of had breakfast and meals set up at the schools. Um, but then there's the question of whether or not the, the children are able to get to those um, locations. So um, we need to find out where, you know, where a good meeting spot is if it's not the school, but that's where I would advocate for first and then take a look at the numbers of children that require those meals and then find a way um, using the drivers that we already have and that are already employed to, to get those meals to the, to the children. Um, that's pretty much how I would look at it. Um, obviously I would, I would really find a serious solution. I'd, I'd want to talk to, talk to the people that are doing the, doing the work on the ground and find out what their thoughts are and how to get that to them. So I would always look to the people on the ground doing the work and look for some advice and see what they would um, encourage um, as a fix. Okay. Thank you. Now we're going to switch topics. This is social and economic issues, race and mental health. I will start with you, Jimmy. 2018-2019 school year, Poway Unified Survey results stated that one out of five 11 grades had th- grade students had thoughts of suicide. As a board member, how would you approach the issue of mental health among the student body and also the staff? Sure, that's a great question. Um, so one of my initiatives is, is to get more counselors, more more um, education training onto campuses. Um, that always, you know, I say every time I say more campus or more counselors, everyone thinks, oh, that's going to cost a lot of money. But I have an initiative that would work where we can team up and partner with local uh, universities and use some of the some of the interns from there to come over on campus with a strategic program in place to teach like mental health, teach uh, performance psychology initiatives, like how to deal with adversity, how to, how to uh, deal with anxiety and cope with, with um, all of the stresses in life and so forth. But we can get, there's a way, an efficient way to get, get um, students on that are learning to become counselors, get them on, on campus, our campuses, and they can get, they can acquire the hours needed. And then we can also get the services for not only for our students, but also our faculty and our staff and even our parents. There's lots of great programs that we can do. I've already started some of that when I was working at Poway with their, as a volunteer, as their leadership and mental skills coach. But there's a lot of really good resources in the community that we need to start leveraging. And as a board member, I would definitely take on that initiative and make those um, relationships work and to get them on campus. Thank you. Cindy, do you need me to repeat the question? Yes, please. 
During the 2018 and 2019 school year, Poway Unified did a survey and the survey results stated that one out of five of the 11th grades had thoughts of suicide. As a board member, how would you approach the issue of mental health among the student body as well as the staff? Thank you. In 2018, when my daughter was a, a sixth grader, um, the, several of the middle schools um, put together a program that was over, offered over at Ranch Bernardo High School on anxiety and depression that impact our kids. It was a wonderful performance, um, and I don't, I don't remember the name of that organization, but they had said, you know, we're here as a service to, you know, help your kids. It's a tough time as they go through adolescence and the, the, stress, the stresses of school. Um, I agree. It is, it is a very um, sensitive and important topic, and we need to be very aware of our kids. Um, and, and even right now with COVID, so many kids are struggling with depression, um, being isolated from their friends. The district has Caring Connections, which is a free service that is open to all the kids. Um, it just takes a, a phone call to their counselor to be referred. Um, and then there's resources from there. Okay. This is a similar question, and I'll start with you, Cindy. As you know, or maybe you don't, the Poway Unified has a youth in transition program. Hundreds of students that do not have a guaranteed stable place to sleep. Now, with the economic upheaval of many families due to the COVID, how can you support these kids in these uncertain times? I have thought about that population of students from the time that we were sent home and we have heard about all this communication that as someone who's well connected, I feel fortunate to have that information. But when we were trying, when the district was trying to figure out, you know, who needed Chromebooks and who had access to internet, clearly those kids, they don't because they, they don't have stable, um, a stable home environment. Um, so it is, it's important as a board member that, you know, obviously in confidence that you know who those kids are and that you are, um, have, you know, either through caring connections or counselors to the schools that are able to communicate directly with those kids because maybe they don't have a phone or internet um, and so that they can be provided the resources they need um, to stay um, with, you know, within their grade levels and accessing their materials. Jimmy, Poway Unified has a youth in transition program. It has hundreds of students in it who do not have a guaranteed stable home and a place to sleep. Now with this economic upheaval, how would you support these kids in these uncertain times? So um, Poway's already doing a really good job. Well, they're starting to go in the right direction. I know they're getting grant money that's out there. They, they got, uh, in a Braxton side, they, put, they recently put in um, washer and dryer so these, these youth in transition um, uh, can go and get their, clo- their clean, you know, clothes clean. Uh, we need to keep doing more of that. I know there's money out there. I know the uh, County of San Diego Board of Supervisors just put out a bunch of money for grant money for mental health services. So there's, there, there are resources out there that we can tap into, whether um, it's a school board um, trustee doing it or somebody on staff. But we really need to make those connections and find the money that's out there because there are funds and there are grants um, that, that really um, – speak directly to this, um, whether it's a homeless population grants, whatever the case may be, there, there, there are resources. And I think it needs somebody on the board that can make those connections in the community to be able to find out what resources are available to help, um, help those children that are in transition and uh, make sure that they know they have a safe place to go. Uh, again, in the same uh, issue, do you feel, Jimmy, that the school district is doing enough to address the uh, immediate issues related to racism on campus across the district? Oh, yes great... or no? How would you change it if it was up to you? Yeah, so we just passed a resolution in June, which I thought was a fantastic uh, step in the right direction, anti-racism uh, resolution in June. And I really applaud the board for doing that. And even since June, they've already announced a number of initiatives that they are undertaking, whether it's new curriculum or it's, um, disciplinary action. But there, there's one thing that I feel like they're really missing, and they're missing the mark on on children or students that who went to um, Black and PUSD, 
by the way, applaud, applaud the, uh, the student body that's, that stood that up. Um, they need a safe place to go. And so I have a safe place program initiative, which is very kind of modeled after the Naval Academy. We had, we had a very similar initiative where basically um, staff and, and teachers can get additional training. And then once they get this additional training, they get credentialed, then they can put a, a placard on their, on their classroom saying that's a safe place. And then students now have a place to go. They have plenty of options to choose from with a, with a, with a teacher that they trust, and they can address the situation of what those, those issues may come right whether it's harassment or microaggressions, whatever the case may be, and then they can go and then and the teacher can then direct them and, and through a protocol, a series of protocols, and, and maybe help them get the right help that they need or at least have a place for them to, to kind of talk and invent, not even invent, but just to, to express some of their anger and frustration. I think it's incredibly important, and that's the one step I would do, a safe place program. I would initiate that program in the district. Thank you. Cindy, do you feel the school district is doing enough to address issues related to racism? across the district, what would you change if it was up to you? Like, like, like what Jimmy said, I completely agree. I think the district has, is, is really going in the right direction right now. I know that there's a lot of kids out there that still want to be heard. Um, I've, I've had working with middle school students myself. I've had a lot of conversations over the last few months and, and heard their concerns. I have um, some girls that are working on some projects uh, that, that delve in this area that, you know, they, they're, um, they're concerned for their, um, the diversity and um, equality in the classroom and in the, the, um, the curriculum that's being presented is, um, it's critical um, to all of our kids that you know the uh, racism is is uh, is not acceptable. Um, and I also applaud the uh, the student who started that um, um, the Instagram page on um, Black and PUSD. It's important these kids are heard and that they feel like they they're safe and have equality, um, and they know they can go into the schools and it's. Um, uh, everyone is going to be treated exactly the same and be heard the same. Thank you. I learned this afternoon from Janet uh, Latang, one of our questioners, that the Poway Unified School District has a lot of different students from different ethnicities. Ethnicities, tough word to say. Um, yes. All kinds of breakdown from kids from all different backgrounds. Yes. Do you think the Poway schools are working to address the issues of this diversity and ethnicity and inclusiveness? Do you think that they're working hard to do that? Um, well, this, this, this relates a lot to the last question that you just asked. I, I think that multicultural, the multicultural diversity in our district is beautiful. Um, and there's some schools have, have more um, diversity than others. Uh, I would love to see our kids to have more exposure because the more that we see uh, diversity, um, whether it's through their, their curriculum, um, through the, um, the materials that are provided in their classroom, I think it's only going to um, help our kids as the next generation of adults to see each other on a more of a level playing field rather than have these ingrained prejudices from, you know, previous generations that are uh, maybe pre-existing. Um, I, for one, you know, do what I can to expose uh, the children that I work with in the classroom and um, in my um, youth youth groups that I work with to diversity because it's, it's important. We're, we're all one part of one human race. Thank you. Jimmy. How do you think the Poway School District should work better to address the issues of diversity and inclusiveness? So I think that we are, um, I think we're just getting started. I think there's there's a lot that we can do as a school district. I, I like the idea. We, we, we're going to hopefully you know, approve these two ethnic uh, curriculum courses. Um, but I think we need to start at a younger age. We need to, we need to get some more ethnic curriculum studies at, at a younger age and kind of work our way up through high school. Um, I, I like the idea of having a task force, a curriculum task force um, that involves not just teachers, but also in, involves parents. Um, so we can make sure that the voices in, in the community are represented in the classroom as well. I don't know that we've done enough. I really think that we're just at the you know, tip of the iceberg as far as getting started. I mean, a huge wake up call for this, this community was black and PUSD um, and LGBT and PUSD. So that, that really took, um, took everyone 
you know, a lot of the people by surprise just to hear that going on. Um, again, I have, I have students, I have two children that went through Poway High School and, and they're, they, you know, it was no surprise hearing their stories day in, day out. And then to see it on, on, a, on a social media was really eye-opening. So I think we're at the tip of the iceberg and we need to keep pushing for, for more uh, inclusion and more curriculum uh, change in our schools. Okay, this is our, our last question in this category. What plans might you have to address the disparities between the schools with regard to income level of the students attending those schools and how that affects the school's success or outcomes? That's to you, Judy. Yeah, that's a very difficult question. I, I've been talking to parents, and a lot of times they have this issue of like what schools make, you know, can raise more money than others. And there's definitely, you know, social inequities that, that exist in our schools. Um, I don't know the correct answer, but I do know that that um, keep asking the question whether it's the the Poway, um, you know, the Poway Unified um, Foundation and being able to raise money for those uh, schools that are that are less fortunate to to raise um, funds for, for, you know, so so that that might be one way. Again, going for more grants and trying to figure out what money is out there, what we resources are out there. But as a, as a school board trustee, I'm really going to be focused on those initiatives as well as just making sure that the, the cost saving measures that we, that are going to be coming down the pike are, are equitable and, and that we don't dis, uh, you know, further um, disadvantage any of the schools that need, need those, these, those funds or resources. And, and then also make sure that those schools in need that they know what resources are out there. So again, uh, to be an advocate for them to hear what their needs are and then to be able to go and advocate whether at the local or state level is, is pretty much why I see my, my, my position as a trustee to be able to help the community that I serve. Thanks. Cindy, what plans might you have to address the disparities between the schools with regard to income level? Okay. Um, I've been doing a lot of uh, research in this area, uh, talking to all the different schools and looking at the um, school accountability report cards. Uh, the district has to provide equity across the board in terms of um, the allocation per pupil. So um, I'm, I'm not sure what it is right now, but I know uh, a, a year ago it was like $34 a student. Um, some schools have... Um, um, title one fundings in this particular trustee area. There's four of the elementary schools receive title one fundings. Um, and I know that, uh, there's Mella Ruse for some of the other schools in the, in the district that all, uh, contribute to the pot, um, of, you know, equity across, across the board. Um, as far as fundraising goes, I've been immersed for, for nine years at this, at the school and helping fundraise. And I know that there's disparities, um, but you know, some neighborhoods have more, um, affluency and are able to donate more where others, um, don't, and they pull off the best programs they can. So, um, I would love to meet with other leadership at the schools to see what they are doing and how they are successful and share those, those avenues with other schools. Okay. Thank you. Now we're going to ask questions about the curriculum. Visual and performing arts is a California core curriculum. How would you work to ensure that all Poway Unified students have equitable visual and performing arts opportunities, K through 12? I know that at the secondary schools, it is an elective option. Um, and at the elementary schools, the um, it's different. Um, there's not as the, the, the opportunities are not the same from one school to the next. Um, I come from a household where both of my children are very much involved in the visual performing arts and I see what it does, does to them, um, to build confidence and exposure to, uh, music and, um, dance, uh, working with, with different groups. You're, you're learning to work as a team in a, in a different way. Uh, and I am a huge advocate for keeping, um, the visual and performing arts um, with the other schools that don't have it. I know we've worked hard um, and we ha have it at, at Garden Road on a, on a very small level. It's not enough. It needs to be more, um, but it needs to be um, made available through um, the various programs that are out there that to, to bring it on, even to expose our kids, even just a little bit um, and to continue the grade level performances at the end of the year. Thank you. Jimmy, visual and performing arts is a California core curriculum. How will you work to ensure that all 
the students have equitable visual and performing arts opportunities K through 12. All right, fantastic question. Real quick about the Title I schools, I know we have four schools in our district, but if those are the schools I'm worried about. I'm worried about the schools that are on the margin that don't quite qualify for Title I, and that's where some of the attention needs to be addressed. Going back to the visual arts, performing arts question, in Maryland, when we lived in Maryland for three years, they had a really cool uh, public giving um, uh, program that was set up where people with old instruments would be able to get them refurbished and, and donated them to the school. We had a fantastic uh, school um, um, teacher there, that music teacher that was kind of had this all up. And, and what was really fantastic about that program was that all these old uh, equipment that, uh, you know, new name the musical instrument and was able to be kind of donated all the way down to to the elementary school so when, when so when um some of those less fortunate students who were not able to rent or buy uh, their equipment were able to, to to benefit from this program and they also started uh playing instruments a whole year earlier than we do here in poway and i, I loved it because my kids were there at the time and, and they started picking up the violin or the viola and they were able to carry that instrument all the way through and so having a, a public community um social program where you brought in your old instruments uh, will take some effort and some time, but I think it's definitely worth the interest or the investment. Thanks. Thank you. This question is to you, Jimmy. Do you think there should be curriculum changes to address the issues of diversity and equity? What curriculum change might you endorse? Um, 100% yes. So I think there's um, the state that California is already looking at the uh, uh, ethnic cultural studies where they highlight, um, you know, African-American, Native American, Asian-American and Latinos and presenting that as a more realistic uh, view of their of their history in, in, in the states. And I, I would support that. I mean, the draft is really coming. I know the first draft went in and went out, but it didn't approve. But I'm looking forward to the next one. I like what Poway Unified is already doing with the, uh, the two courses that they're offering up. And uh, they're kind of getting their feet wet, but I think there's still a lot more room to grow. Um, uh, teaching slavery the way it actually really occurred, real history, I think is another good improvement that we would, we would improve, in, you know, in, put into our curriculum for our children. But the key there is to start all of this, all these new curriculums at an earlier age. I'm talking from elementary to middle school and then to high school, not just one or two classes in, in high school. I think we can, we can do a lot better job as a community by getting these new curriculum of ethics studies. And again, having a, you know, ethics studies task force. I love that idea where you include the community to help make those decisions to make sure that what we're teaching children actually reflect um, reality. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Cindy, do you think there should be curriculum changes to address the issues of diversity and equity? And Mike, what might you endorse? Yes, I agree um, that there should be some changes in the curriculum, uh, particularly when, you know, they're they're talking about history and uh, current events that, uh, you know, all all ethnic all ethnicities are, are represented um, from from the time the kids are little to as as they you know go through um, middle school and high school. Um, we are headed in that direction. Um, there's a lot more that is needed to be done, uh, but there's you know between between you know curriculum and um, um, media um, that they present in the classroom. Um, even right now with virtual learning, there's a lot that you know the the teachers could be incorporating uh, as they, they talk about, you know, uh, so social studies and, and history. Um, and there have been things that have been taken away in the past. And I think it's time that, you know, those shifts are made to go back in the other direction um, for, for society and for our kids to, they should be better than, than we are. Thank you. This is a question also in the same vein in the curriculum issue. How could the Poway schools change the overall curriculum in order to better prepare students for life in the 21st century? And this is to you, Cindy. Okay, well, there, there's um, a, lot, a lot to that question. How can they change the curriculum for kids headed in, you know, further into the 21st century? Um, you know, the, um, the, a lot of the textbooks are dated. Um, as I've, I've had recent conversations with, with some of the teachers, some of the materials are very much dated. Um, interviews with students and um, high school students in the last year as a part of the um, um, master plan said that, you know, a lot of teachers are using supplemental materials. If that is the direction that um, we need to go into, for, not only for um, um, providing, you know, more relevant and, and current material for our students, but as uh, a possible budget um, 
you know, budget cuts so th- budgets can be shifted to other other directions um, if textbooks really aren't um, the relevant tools anymore. Thank you, Jimmy. How could Poway schools change the curriculum to get these kids ready for the 21st century? Right. I want to, in 2016, I, I brought up this issue. Just just retiring from the Navy in 2016 as, a, as an economics professor, um, when I was a student at the Naval Academy, the hardest courses were chemistry and calculus. But as a, as a professor at the Naval Academy, um, I saw that that had changed. Um, and essentially, it was basically um, cybersecurity and teaching students how to code and how to think, um, you know, in, in those terms, that became the hardest course for, for most freshmen and sophomores at the Naval Academy is how to learn how to use Java and how to code. A lot of them didn't have that experience. Well, in, in the gig economy and the, the technology that we're at four years later, I would advocate, as I did back in 2016, the one thing that we can do to help our students in the future is to, is to make computer science part of the curriculum all the way from, even, go as early as uh, kindergarten, first grade, all the way to 12th grade. And you'll see that there, at the time in 2016, there was about five Five school districts in the state that were already doing that. Um, they they started up a, a, a task force to try and figure out what this curriculum would look like, um, and Poway was not part of that. And that, I would love to see nothing more than to have Poway Unified part of that new curriculum, bringing computer science all the way from kindergarten all the way up to twelfth grade. And that's the best way, in my opinion, that we can help um, help our students um, moving forward in the future. Thank you. This is one question on distance learning. I'll start with you, Jimmy. How can the schools better assess? whether students are learning during virtual learning? All right. That's a, that's a great question. So um, we just started this uh, online learning with the, the um, online learning Academy. And um, I also teach at Escondido. And so we're doing everything virtual. One thing I will say that I don't think anyone should do is I don't think we should lower our standards. I think we should do um, just keep them going as, as the way they are. I think students will, will model our behavior as parents and as teachers, and they will, they will, they will ride the, that behavior as, as their own. Um, I'll put a shout out to Mrs. Gallinet. She has my second grade, second grade Cooper. He loves class because she's really energetic and has a lot of fun and she's all for it. Um, Mr. Fisher, who's a math teacher, ninth grade, Emerson, my, my, my ninth grader loves him because he's just, he's fun, but he also holds her accountable. He marked her tardy. We need to keep that, that effort going forward. As far as assessments go, again, we can still do test um, distance learning assessments and we can also do, um, I'm not a big fan of standardized testing. I don't think it works. I think it tends to discriminate against uh, uh, minorities and so forth, but, but we should keep our, our curriculum at where it is and keep the standard um, at that level that has made Poly such a really good school for high achievers in, in the community. So I think we should keep, keep the standards up high and maybe uh, go into some other uh, stuff right now. Thanks. Thank you. Cindy, how can schools better assess whether the students are learning during virtual classes? Um, I can speak firsthand of this as I am currently working as a long-term sub at uh, Garden Road as a resource specialist. We've been preparing materials to go live on Monday on um, just this particular population of kids that we're going to be doing small groups, uh, pulling them out in our virtually, obviously, um, and they are going to be um, materials distributions. Uh, so like every other Monday, the kids are going to come through. They're going to get their materials. So they will have materials in hand. Um, we are going to be in the classroom projecting materials on the board and um, assessing them directly, you know, doing reading assessments and math assessments with them. So they have the materials in hand and we're still doing live instruction with them. And I know that um, I've seen it with my own, my own son's classroom that he's being tested and my daughter's being tested. Um, I got a call from Twin Peaks, the attendance line, because the link to PE wasn't working today. So she, my daughter emailed the teacher to say for the third time, it's not working, but she was marked absent. So she, she, she did her own PE well. In that, in that time period, but um, there's things that they're working on, and I know that there's amazing ways that they're assessing these kids um, live online. Thank you. Okay. Now we're going to go to budgetary issues. First question is to you, Cindy. Do you think the way the teachers' union has been negotiating with the superintendent for pay raises is appropriate? Do you think the board should be directing those negotiations instead of the union? Um, I think that's a conversation. That's a that's a great question to have. Uh, the right now that with the way the budget has been moving in the um, 
with the school district, there was um, three years ago, there was a $7 million deficit. Um, and then it was cut down to a million dollar deficit um, with all the things that the district was doing. Um, right now, it's bumped back up to about 3 million, I believe. Um, salary increases, the uh, latest conversation that I heard was, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a freeze right now. Um, not, that I, not that I don't think that teachers are worth it. <sighs> Uh, everything that we could pay them, there are teachers that are teaching our children. Um, but the there right now, there's a lot of measures that are uh, budgetary um, focuses on trying to you know get the classrooms safe. There's uh, filters in all the classrooms, and the classrooms have all been cleaned. And there's filtration systems. Um, so as far as salaries goes, uh, they there needs to be a, a hold on that conversation just just for a little bit to get things stabilized and get out of this pandemic. Thank you. Jimmy, do you think the way the teachers union has been negotiating with the superintendent for pay raises is appropriate? Do you think the board should be directing those negotiations? Um, so that, yeah, that, good question. I, I know there, there has been a freeze for the next three years when it comes to this. Um, so as, as a board, we're, we're there to provide oversight. We're there to um, hold the superintendent accountable for those negotiations, make sure she's doing her job, doing appropriately, whether or not the, the school board should be negotiating that. But either way, there should be a, a, a negotiator, even a third party that's doing the negotiations. That just that, that makes the most sense to me, whether it's, I don't know, I don't know if I necessarily agree that it should be the superintendent doing that, or even it should be the board members, maybe a third party that acts on behalf of the district, I think makes the most sense to have be a negotiator uh, with, the, with the unions. I do agree that, that teachers are underpaid, and I do agree that even our staff are underpaid, but I think with the, 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 that fight needs to happen at the state, not at the local levels. And so I think as an as a elected trustee, I would, I would go to the state and I would advocate for education and teachers and more pay and more funding. And that's really what I see the role of, of, a, of a trustee doing is being able to advocate um, for, for our school district outside of our, our community at the state, even at the federal level. And I would do that 100% um, in support of our teachers and our staff. Thank you. This is a two-part question. I'll start with you, Jimmy. At their August board meeting, Power Unified presented their projected 21-22 budget with a proposed $8 million budget cut. <coughs> Excuse me. What general fund budget cuts would you suggest to reach this $8 million proposed budget cut? Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's a fair question, to be honest with you, because, there's, I mean, you know, there's, there's other issues to go on, but the, the, the funding, that $8 million, I would want to know if it's reoccurring or if it's a one-time fee or, you know, one-time uh, cut. And then what are those funding? I think they, they're projecting an additional $11 million in the year after that. And so where, where is that money coming? Where are those cuts coming? So I want to see what their, their transition plan is or, and to where, what's nine my list. What do, what do they want to cut? And then which fund it would come out of? I mean, you can look at, there's all kinds of, you can look at, I think it's like Fund 40 deals with facilities, but then there's so many issues that go on there. Uh, fund 25 is another one, but then um, there's so many decisions. I, I know we haven't talked about the PCPA that they're talking about buying another facility. So, so I would not answer that question because it's so volatile right now, what the state is providing us. I mean, we're, we're projecting uh, zero COLA um, going forward for the next, what, two or three years, but we don't even know if that's accurate. We have no idea at this point to be able to, to, to surehandedly say what our funding is coming in from the state. I mean, we're in presidential um, election year. And so that's good. Obviously whoever's going to be the new administration is going to have an effect on our funding as well from federal level. So, so I would not know that we have to make that decision at this point, but I would definitely be interested in hearing what, what um, the district um, intends to do. There's a second part to that question, but I'll come back to it. Cindy, at, as I just said, at the August board meeting, they presented their projected budget with a proposed $8 million cut. What general fund budget cuts would you suggest to reach this $8 million proposed budget cut? Yeah, that's, that's, that's a really, really tough question um, because – we look at when you when you walk around our schools and look at each one individually. Um, there are so many right now that that need so much to to say that um, you know we already have this this uh, eight million dollar deficit and there's you know the projected eleven million um, and uh, our schools are deteriorating and things have to be dealt with for the safety of our children. Um, we want to maintain this you know academic standard that uh, Poway is is known for. Um, 
Um, and the teachers are going to continue to do that regardless. But um, to say, you know, where can we cut this is, um, you know, that's really difficult to, you know, the, the, again, you know, like Jimmy said, this is a presidential election year. Um, you know, what happens in, in Washington is is going to impact all of the states and ultimately impact, you know, the budget that's allocated to all the schools. Power Unified is one of the lowest funded schools compared to the other local schools. And um, I'll, I'll let you finish answering that with the second part of the question. When the budget cuts are required, should administration salaries or teacher positions be on the cut list before program cuts? For instance, how about cuts to sports programs? I, I don't think any of that could get cut. I really don't. Um, you know, you work hard. I work hard. Jimmy works hard. You know, you know, we work hard with, with whatever our profession is and to say, to keep things going, um, can you still do a good job? And I'm going to take $5,000 from your salary. I don't think that's, I don't think that's fair to, you know, any of our hardworking teachers. Um, as far as, you know, where, uh, to the sports program, these, you know, these, these kids need these programs. Um, I think we have to look at it in a, in a different way where we really can cut some things. Um, I don't want to see p- jobs affected. There's been millions upon millions of people that have been affected because of COVID. Um, and I don't, I don't want to see anyone else affected uh, right now because of the, the, the deficit and um, the budget. So I, uh, I don't want to cut programs. I don't want to take away from teacher salaries. We're going to have to look at another angle and involve the community to say, how, how can we keep our schools nationally ranked and our, and our schools, the infrastructure safe and the job and, and the teachers um, feeling confident, knowing that they are respected to do the job that they are hired to do. Thank you. Jimmy. Yes, when cuts are required, should the administration salaries or, or maybe teacher positions be on the cut list before programs? How about cuts to the sports programs? Uh, absolutely, absolutely no to any of those uh, to sports programs, to teachers. And, and um, now I, my, my expertise is in operations, so I'm not convinced that we're operating efficiently. My last uh, two, two companies ago, I was in charge of, of finding cost savings measures over, over um, a budget that was pretty equivalent to to what Power Unified School District is. And within seven months, I was able to find close to $20 million in cost-saving measures. Um, so I would, I would really look at our operations, whether it's the you know, food service, transportation, whatever it is. I'm pretty sure there's, there's cost-saving measures in there that are not realized. Um, this, this district has, as a, as a, kind of has this reputation for making top-down decisions and not actually talking to the people on the floor. So if we can get to, to find out how to make our, 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 our operations more efficient, I bet you we can find some cost-saving measures in there. But if I had to come down to it, if I had to make a decision, you know, maybe I look at the administration and see where can we cut out some, some fat there as well. But I would not cut any no teachers, no programs. Those would, those would be a little further down on my list. But the first thing I would love to do is to get into the operations, just kind of do an assessment and figure out how can we save money in our, in our operations. Thanks. Okay, to you, Jimmy. Do you support... Or how would you plan to maintain the building infrastructure of the Poway schools, given the recent failure of a bond measure in March? So that bond measure, there's a number of reasons why I think it failed, and um, and but it wasn't just Poway. If you look across state, uh, a lot of bond measures failed in that in, in that election cycle. But one thing I think we can do better. Um, as a district is to be able to, to restore those community relations. I think when the bond measure came down, I think it was a little bit too much, too fast for, for the community to, to process. I think within like two or three months, we, all these workshops started happening. Uh, the superintendent started going around trying to, trying to get people to buy in on this. Um, nobody had any say. It was either you take it or you don't. It was like $400 million. It was kind of a large pill to swallow, especially with what was going on in, you know, 10 years ago with the, with the cab. Um, that those relations haven't been restored, even though it's new leadership. I think they needed, the district needed to do a better job of communicating and maybe reaching out with a survey, finding out what people were, were willing to, to put up for, for a new school bond. Because there's no doubt we do need another school bond. When and how much are the questions that remain? Because our, our facilities are, are you know, deteriorating. We need, they need some serious attention. But it's the community, the community relations, I think, that, that we need to work on as a district with the community on how to, how to make that bond uh, work for everybody. Thank you. Cindy, how would you plan to maintain the building infrastructure of the Poway schools given the recent failure of the bond measure in March? 
Um, I, I know firsthand that the infrastructure um, at many of the schools are of great concern. Um, it's projected that about 60% of our school by 20, 60% of our schools by 2023 are going to be considered in poor condition if we are not able to um, do the upgrades, the necessary upgrades to these uh, to the infrastructures that's needed. Um, it, it was the, the bond measure, while it was, I believe it was laid out well, I don't think that the um, there was enough time to, to for the community to truly process it. I know it took me a while to, to process it, um, uh, but there was it was a small window when it was um, uh, pr- uh, presented to the community, and um, from the time uh, and then it was it went straight to vote. So it was only like about six weeks um, of uh, of, the, of the that committee getting out there, um, the administration getting out there. Um, we need to revisit that um, and. Uh, I don't know that the bond is the right time right now, but we need to partner with our community and to say, look, we need to, t- to take care of these schools. They're our investment. They're in our neighborhood. Thank you. Speaking of the November election, do you support Proposition 15, the schools and communities' first proposition on the November ballot? Cindy. Do I present, do I support, do support it? California Proposition 15. Um, I, I honestly have to say I'm not not 100% familiar with, with the prop. I will tell you that it has to do with increasing funding for public schools, community colleges, and local government services by changing the tax assessment on commercial and industrial real estate property. They want to tax commercial and uh, industrial property based on current market value instead of the purchase price. So you can imagine that is a controversial issue, but the money is to go to the schools from K through 12 and the community colleges. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that, that's a tough one to answer. Thank you for explaining that. Uh, none of us like to be taxed. We're, we're taxed right and left. Um, our, our schools and our colleges, they, they definitely need more funding. Um, if and if that's a, if that's a source of income that can help our 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 local school districts uh, fix all their various issues, the the infrastructures, um, providing the technology in the classroom that is needed, um, uh, you know, across across the academic levels. Um, yeah, I've I'm, I've never been like a big fan of increased taxes. Uh, we live in California. Yeah, you know we pay we pay the sunshine tax, um, but it, it, you know sometimes you have to make that that decision is is a, is a slight increase um, a, a smart choice for the for the long run and the many that would be impacted. So I I would have to say yes. Jimmy, Prop Fifteen. I support it 100%. Um, Prop 15 is, is meant to go after large corporations. It doesn't affect the small business owner. Um, it's estimated to bring in $12 billion into California. A percentage of it will go to schools. I, I've done the calculations, about a third of that, so roughly $4 billion will go back to K-12 through uh, public schools. Um, again, with, with this current administration giving a tax cut to, to big corporations, I don't believe and as an economics professor, I can tell you undoubtedly they don't pay their fair share. And so I would, I'm absolutely 100% for Prop 15 to tax large corporations um, by reassessing their property uh, taxes. And a lot of that money goes goes to good. It goes to our children. That's a, that's a public good, which is the role of government to be able to provide education um, to, to our citizens. And so 100% uh, in support of Prop 15. Thank you. This question goes to you, Jimmy. This is our last question in budgetary issues. How do you feel about the district rewarding parents and students who contribute to fundraisers with special parking spots or cuts in the lunch line or names on display for birthdays, classroom time on a bounce machine? This is this is the question that came in. So I'm, I'm not sure how you want to answer that. 
Yeah, so I, I'm in favor of all that. That's all like parent fundraising. If you want to, all those issues are basically a zero cost to the school. Um, there's there's marginal cost is absolutely zero. So let's let's find some creative ways to raise money. Um, I understand the issue with not being able to, you know, the child not being able to get their name on the marquees on, but but I think uh, those are creative measures and they're meant to raise funds. Um, I don't see anything illegal about it. Um, we've done that in the military all throughout. It's just it's these just fun creative ways to raise money. Um, the issue is if and these are typically typically ran by the PTA or the foundations, which are both um, nonprofit organizations that, that as a, as a trustee, I would have no say as to how they, how they, um, you know, how they spend their money. But, but the idea, if I were to take that away, they would just find other ways to, to raise money. But if it's, if it's already working, then, then I don't see any harm in doing that. Um, so I think it's a, it's a very valid and creative way to, to raise money for, for our children. I mean, that's where the ultimate, that's where the money goes. Um, so I, I don't see an issue. And again, it's obviously legal and I do believe it's ethical as well to do that. Cindy, how do you feel about the district rewarding parents and students who contribute to fundraisers with special treats, parking spots, cuts in the lunch line, so forth? How do you feel about that? Well, I, I can say firsthand, having been a part of all of that, you know, being being on that those committees that, um, and the school gives permission for these, you know, the, the scanners, the beanbags in the library, the standing in the, you know, first in line for for lunch, uh, the, the the parking spots, the birthday banners, you know, the teacher time, you know, these are things that you know don't don't cost the school anything, but generate thousands of dollars. Um, and usually in the form of, you know, raffles or auctions. Uh, so it's, it's a no cost way for, for the school to generate thousands of dollars. Um, and it's, it's, it's transparent what, you know, what the funds are raised for and what they're going to go to, to, you know, to supply the kids. So someone that just paid $500 for a parking spot, you know, it's, kudos to them because they just donated $500 to the school. That's going to buy, you know, two Chromebooks for the school. Uh, so I, I am completely in favor of it. Thank you. The next couple of questions are on the Poway center for the performing arts. So what is your position? We'll start with you, Cindy, regarding the Poway center for the performing arts. Should, should the school district acquire the facility? Oh, was that the end? Sorry. <laughs> I wasn't sure if you were talking. I'm going to put this, uh, join this with the second question. And if they do acquire the facility, do you think it should be managed as a professional performing arts center? The performing arts center, it's, um, you know, it's like that landlord-tenant relationship. You know, it's, it's uh, on Poway land, but it's owned by the city, and uh, the city has, you know, mismanaged the fans. I know as of, well, as of June, um, and I haven't heard the conversation come up in recent board meetings. There's a board meeting going on right now, but um, the, uh, as of June, it was, um, that conversation was tabled as far as, you know, having any more conversations about acquiring that. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a huge advocate for, you know, the visual and performing arts for, for all of our kids who, you know, just even at a minimal exposure, it's, it's a beautiful facility. Um, I don't think right now is the appropriate time to, to go forth with saying that we're, you know, uh, the school district is going to purchase that building because there's, 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 more pressing concerns right now. Um, but it's, it's, it's definitely a conversation we can have at a, at a later time, but not right now. Thank you, Jimmy. Then considering the budget, the uh, Poway Unified School District's budget, what is your position regarding uh, the Poway Center for the Performing Arts? Should they acquire the facility? So I looked at two funds. Uh, like I mentioned Fund 25, they have about $6 million. Um, fund 40, about $19 million. They could potentially use that money there to procure the building. Um, at this point, I'm leaning to no because I don't understand, and, and a lot of these um, discussions have been closed door, but the Performing Arts Center should be run as a performing arts center for the community. That, that's what it's intended for. That's how the taxpayers paid for it. There's a lot of organizations that are affiliated with Performing Arts Center, so I think if the school bought it and didn't allow that access to it, that would be a huge mistake and disservice to the community. So I would say no, because I haven't seen, and, and essentially you're buying a business. You're not just buying a building. So I would love to see what those projections look like 
like not just to buy it, but to operate and maintain it. I would love to see what their business plan looks like to be able to run and, and, and bring in revenue. And that's a huge, widely essential. I don't think that we have the expertise on, on staff at Power Unified to run this as a professional service. And depending on if you have a dancers or theater group, you might have even from one to five technicians. We don't have that expertise. We would have to hire that out. I want to see what those costs look like. So right now I'm saying no. And yes, it should be kept to the community, um, allow for the community to use it as a performing arts center. Okay. Last question before you do your uh, final two-minute closing statement. How would you approach another round of redistricting in an equitable way? And would you support the redistricting even if the superintendent might be against it? Jimmy? Yeah, so I, I think we need to we need to re, really do do the lines, uh, redo the redistricting. I think it should be we have five essentially five areas, five uh, main high schools, and I think I think a, a good way to do it is basically show the, the transition path for students um, from elementary all the way up to high school, and that should be one district. That's one idea, but you really have to get a dem- demographer in here to, to do it right. Um, I think. I, I don't. I think it's almost a conflict of interest as a, as a as a candidate to choose my voters. So I would think that you should have a third party come in there and make that decision. Um, so that's that's my thought. I don't know if it should be relied on, on solely on the superintendent, but but maybe a third party coming in and, and making um, making that decision or helping make that decision, make sure it makes sense. Um, so, but we do need to re- redraw the lines. I mean, I, I think Morning Creek is in our district. I, I went canvas Morning Creek. All the houses just north of Morning Creek were not in my district, but a half a mile down the road, the apartment complex was in my district. And so this made no sense to me. Um, so for, for good representation, I, I think it would be, it would make sense to have high schools lined up with middle schools and so forth and, and elementaries per district. Thank you. Cindy, would you support redistricting if the superintendent is against it? And how would you approach another round of redistricting in an equitable way? Yeah, I mean, up until, uh, you know, I, I committed to running for the board, I had never really looked at looked at how the uh, school district had broken up uh, the, the, the district boundaries into these, these, these trustee areas. Uh, It's, it's, it's a really interesting mapping Um, and where the lines are drawn, you know, for, for Midland, it's like Midland elementary, uh, the residences are split. Um, Some are, you know, it's, they're right on that line, um, so it's it's really interesting. Am I uh, how how I would redistrict it? I I don't know that I can say that I'm completely in favor of of having district because um, you know board members make decisions for the whole district. Um, granted, it's nice as a candidate to say, oh, I only have to really focus on this area, and it's you know twenty three thousand voters or whatever, but. Ultimately, we're representing 36,000 students and everybody should, all those parents should have a say in who's going to be making decisions for their children's education. Well, thank you very much, both of you. Thank you so much for your answers. Before you give your closing remark, I just have to give everyone a few key voting resources. Uh, Be sure you're registered to vote and that your address is correct so that you get a mailed ballot. You go to sdvote.com to make sure of that. And make sure you have filled out the census, my2020census.gov. It's very important that we all fill out the census. And we hope that you will attend more League of Women Voter events so we can get get in-depth information on all the sides of the critical issues affecting our communities. In fact, tomorrow night, there's another League of Women Voters forum, I believe, for one of the Poway City, City Council seats. And we would love... Uh, people in Poway to submit some questions to us for that uh, forum tomorrow night. Um, Now for the closing statements, each candidate will have two minutes and we will reverse the order. We'll begin with Jimmy and I would uh, suggest that maybe you include in your closing statement what do you think the biggest challenge is for the Poway schools in the coming five years? All right. Um, thank you. So I've served in the Navy for over uh, 24 years. Um, and I like to believe I made a difference in every duty station I served at. Um, as an officer, I have enormous impact on the lives of sailors and their families, and later on with so many students serving as a professor, academic counselor, and even coach. Um, I've always strived 
to provide a supportive culture wherever I could by being responsive to the needs of the people I served. Um, I'm running for school board so I can do the same for this community. I see how far behind this community is regarding recognizing and addressing social injustice. And now I do applaud the current board for passing the anti-racism resolution in June. Um, I plan to be there to hold our superintendent accountable to that resolution. I also, I also see the socioeconomic disparities in District E alone. I mean, I dropped door hangers from multi-million dollar homes in Stonebridge all the way down to manufactured homes in Midland. And as a school board member, I'm not here to change those socioeconomic uh, differences, but I'm here to, to acknowledge them and to take them into consideration uh, when it comes, down, it comes time to make those important decisions. I'm here to support my community and give, give our children every possible resource to become successful. Now, I know now that the importance of individual effort and performance um, this is where my mental skills uh, perform, you know, initiatives come in. But I also understand the importance of community. And no matter how much uh, effort one person gives, no, no one stands alone. Uh, we're all required to, uh, to, we all require a supportive and accepting community to discover and reach our goals. And that's where my confronting systemic racism and social inequities uh, comes in. And once you understand the importance of improving an individual's social and emotional development, coupled with improving the community in which they live in, I mean, by the likes of providing like structured and safe environments, one that confronts systemic racism and one that no, provides no excuses and, and, and one that acknowledges and addresses the social inequities. I mean, then you understand the enormous positive impact that you can have on generations to come. And that's why I'm running to serve as, as this community school board trustee. All right. Thanks. Thank you, Jimmy. Cindy, your closing statement. And would you perhaps like to include also what you think you'd like to have happen in the Power Unified School District the next five years? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Gail. Um, I, as I said in my opening statement, I have been an educator for uh, over 22 years now. Uh, for the past eight years, nine years since my children have been um, students in Power Unified, I have been not only a substitute in the district to give back, I have been on the PTA board every single year. I have served with almost every event that has happened on, on campus, uh, from, from copy, making copies to running country fairs. Um, I, I give back to the community in terms of, you know, youth leadership. I work with, you know, Girl Scouts and Little League, and um, I have dedicated my, my almost my entire adult life to giving back to kids to try to um, improve um, their lifestyles. And um, it's one kid at a time. Um, and I've touched some amazing kids uh, that have, you know, been in and out of juvenile detention facilities. Uh, I think that the challenges that our district faces definitely are within the infrastructures um, and getting those very needed um, safety repairs done to our school for our children's sake, as as well as the, the need to um, address the you know the the, the social injustices, um, the, the 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 curriculum, and providing you know programs that help to move our kids into the direction that they need to, um, and many are already there, but there's so much more work that needs to be done to um, make sure that our kids are, you know, feel like they are, they are equals um, all the way through. Uh, I believe that, you know, the, bringing the community in is, is, is a vital part to strengthening the relationships, not only at the school, um, but uh, within the community. Um, all students, you know, regardless of their academic strengths, need to feel like they are important um, and uh, uh, have the same opportunities that kids that who excel. Thank you. Thank you both. On behalf of, uh, I should mention that our host group, North and South Poway Vote and the John Riley Project, we'd like to thank you very much for running for office and for attending uh, the League of Women Voters Forum tonight. Uh, thank you for joining us and for all of you for and the audience for asking such good questions. By participating in the forum, you are following the league's motto. Don't just be a voter, be an informed voter. And don't forget about our voters' edge. All of our candidates can put their information on there. And those of us voting for you can go there and find out what we need to find out about you. So thank you very much. Good evening. Thank you.